Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. It was Robert Redford that once said, I have no regrets because I've done everything I could to the best of my ability. Henry Kissinger, accept everything about yourself. I mean everything. You are you, and that is the beginning and the end. No apologies, no regrets. Or how about Edward Snowden? Do you all remember this guy, the CIA hacker that uh, cla- he leaked classified intel Hop from country to country trying to get away from the U.S. He said that he has no regrets. I wonder if he still feels that way in the Siberian cold. I want to lay all my cards out on the table and walk away with no regrets. Katrina Johnson Thompson. And it must be nice, right, to be able to say I have no regrets, to be one of those lucky individuals that could say that. Well, it's interesting that a certain Bronnie Ware, who was a hospice-type nurse, She spent her career tending to dying people the last 12 weeks of their life. And she found a very common trend that almost every single one of her patients seemed to have a great deal of regret. And she recorded these all in a book. I'm just going to read you the top five. Number one, this is the most common regret of all. I wish I had had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Number two. I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Ronnie writes, This came from every male patient that I nursed. They missed their children's youth and their partner's companionship. Women also spoke of this regret, but as most were from an older generation, many of the female patients had not been breadwinners. All of the men I nursed deeply regretted spending so much of their lives on the treadmill of a work existence. Number three, I wish I had had the courage to express my feelings. She said, many people suppress their feelings in order to keep peace with others. As a result, they settled for a mediocre existence and never became who they were truly capable of becoming. Number four, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. She writes that often people wouldn't realize the benefits of of good friendships until the last weeks, and it was not always possible to track them down. And number five, I wish that I had let myself be happier. And this was a surprisingly common one, Bronnie writes, that many did not realize until the end that happiness is a choice. As we're going to see in in Philippians chapter 3, Paul lays out the foundational outline of a truly changed life, which in turn will result in a race well run. And it's at that point that we will be able to say, I have no regrets. And this is most likely precisely what inspired Paul to write in 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. So I'm excited to get into this, so that I and you all, just like Paul, can say these same things with confidence. And if you're taking notes, I'm titling this message, All In, The Cure for Regret. So let's get a little bit of background on this letter. This letter was written by Paul to the church at Philippi at around 60 to 64 AD while Paul was in prison. 
And the church at Philippi was uniquely special to Paul because early on in his ministry, they had reached out and assisted him financially and, and in that respect. So that he had a, a longstanding relationship with this church. Uh, you don't have to write this down, but for context, the outline of this epistle is chapter 1, the joy of life, chapter 2, the humility of Christ, chapter 3, finish the race, and chapter 4, final greetings. We're going to be hanging out in chapter 3, finish the race. So let's set the scene here. We're going to do a little bit of time travel. Approximately 30 years before this letter was written, some 900 miles southeast of this church in Philippi, there was a teacher that was causing quite a stir in the entire region. He was teaching in parables, blowing people's minds. He was healing the sick, healing the lame. He was, he was causing such a stir that they crucified him on a cross, and the kicker is he rose from the grave three days later. And we all know who I'm talking about here. Jesus Christ lit the world on fire. He's the reason we went from B.C. to A.D. on our secular calendars. Prophets like Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Moses, Micah. Folks, prophets have been warning Israel to expect the Messiah for generation upon generation. So when he came, it started a process. It started a process for good and for evil. From that point on, word was spreading like wildfire. So you're probably asking yourself, why, why take us 30 years back, 900 miles away? And, and it's because of this. I want you to understand that so many Jews were still so saturated in their legalistic, their old way of life, their comfort zone. They were trying to hold back God's plan. They were trying to suppress the Messiah. Even 30 years later, 900 miles away, they were still trying. And that shouldn't surprise us because they're still trying 2,000 years later. And that's precisely what Paul addresses here in verses 1 and 2. So let's get into the Word. Um, let's recognize that Paul lays out three important points in the first six verses here. And if you're taking notes, the first point is to be alert. Be alert, specifically for wolves. Let's get into it, 1 and 2. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. Now notice the strong terminology Paul's using here. Dogs, evil workers, mutilation. He's pulling no punches. Now we just discussed these troublemakers, so we don't have to elaborate too much further on who they were exactly. But I think we should notice a Greek word here employed for mutilation which is katatame. Everybody say katatame. Katat very good, very good. Now, this word katatame, it is translated, the definition is a mutilation or a spoiling. If you're reading a NASB, it translates as false circumcision, which is also a good rendering of it. The Amplified Bible says, look out for those dogs, those Judaizers, legalists. Look out for those mischief makers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. So pay attention to the strong terminology they're using here. And as I got to study in this word, I, uh, I found something interesting, and it's, it's only used in this way in the Bible one time, and it's right here. So that means it's unique. And as I got to studying further, I, I discovered something kind of scary because it, it really made me look at the man in the mirror and do a heart check. You see, this unique phrase, katatame, 
is suggesting that there's no difference between those who try to destroy God's plan from those who simply refuse to embrace it. There's no difference, in other words, between an atheist and someone who claims to be a Christian but embraces the behaviors of the world. There's no difference between those who try to destroy God's plan from those who simply refuse to embrace it. And isn't that what Jesus told us in Matthew 12, 30? He said, he who's not with me is against me. And that's when Jesus was addressing the the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So we really need to be aware of this cosmic spiritual warfare behind the scenes because it meant eternity for those in Jesus' day, and it still still means eternity for us today. Let me give you a quick modern example of katatame. The other day I was watching a, a video it was a uh, seminar by this up-and-coming scholar out of Yale. And I kind of have this curse where I, I watch what the opposition says uh, to the, you know, about the Scriptures so that I can have different angles to talk to people with apologetics and stuff like that. But um, I was watching this guy, and you could tell that he didn't believe that the Bible was God's Word. He um, pontificated his knowledge upon the audience, and uh, he made sure they knew his credentials and that he was really smart not to be argued with. And uh, at the end of this, they had a Q&A. And a gentleman in the back raised his hand, and he asked this, this young man, he said, so what separates, in your opinion, the Bible from, say, Shakespeare? And he smugly grinned as he took a drink of water, and he replied with one word. He said, community. Community. He said that community is what separated the Bible from Shakespeare. And he went on to elaborate how You can live just as pure of a life, just as righteous of a life reading Shakespeare as you could the Bible. The only difference in his mind was the Bible had a rich, long history of of people that surrounded it, much older than Shakespeare. That's That's all the difference was to him. Folks, there are teachers being educated for the very purpose of being wolves. They hide behind degrees of which no one is supposed to argue with, and they propagate deceit. And this is happening all over our country. Y'all don't need me to tell you this. We see it on TV. But what's scary is this is happening even in certain Bible colleges. I was talking to a professor not too long ago that teaches at a Bible college here in town. And he told me that every so many years, the uh, Christian colleges in the region, they all get together and discuss uh, Christian education and curriculum and pushing the ball forward. And he learned this last session that that his college here in town is the last one that teaches Genesis 1 through 11 is still God's word. Christian colleges. The rest rest of the colleges have have caved in to to what man says rather than what God says. And we, we can see what man says. It changes every year. God's word stays the same. So just like Paul recognized this in his day, we should take notes because it's even worse in our day. And keep in mind, too, that these wolves come in many different forms. They don't have to be the scholarly. They can be people who don't believe in God or or agnostics at work. They can be so-called Christians who twist the Scriptures. So we need to be aware, to be aware. So Paul just told us what to look out for. Let's see what he says in contrast to that in verse 3. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now notice Paul says here that we are the circumcision. 
Isn't that just what he, he said was the old law, the bad? Keep that, keep that in mind. It's not a contradiction, contradiction, but it's a, it's a hidden nugget of truth. Keep that in the back burner. But this leads us, verse 3, to our second point, which is to be aware. Be aware of who you are in Christ. Be aware of who you are in Christ. And guys, this is so important because every single one of us, apart from Christ, is doomed. It doesn't matter if we are millionaires, homeless, slim, wide, tall, short, popular, despised. It doesn't matter if we are spiritual or religious. Apart from Christ, we are lost. He is the only one by which we can be saved. And it's important that we know who we are in Christ. For starters, we're saved. When's the last time you just you stood back and you had joy? I'm saved. I'm saved. I'm not lost anymore. We're loved. We're protected. And when wolves come, like in Paul's first point, to be alert, we can rest assured because stronger is he living in me than he who is in the world. And I just want to make sure I'm not neglecting the fact that, that while living the true Christian life, it does put a spiritual target on your back. We should remember that this journey comes with a peace that surpasses all understanding. There's a joy. There's a joy in our life, even in the midst of trials. I'll never forget at this last pastor's conference, we were um, having, having our meeting at the end of the night, and Pastor Bill from Grace Amarillo walked in the door and Pastor Ben said, uh, you know, God brought you in here for a reason, Pastor Bill, give us a word. And he, he went on to describe, um, you know, some good advice with the ministry and pushing the ball forward. And he's a funny guy, I'd never gotten to see the serious side of him, so it was neat to, uh, to see that side of him. But he jumped back into character, before he walked out, he turned around and said, guys, don't forget to have fun. There's a joy in the ministry. And so remember that. And that's not just for pastors. That's not just for people who are up here. I'm not a pastor per se. I'm a construction worker. Know that this, this is the ministry. All of us are a part of that. And there should be a joy in it. So, number one, be alert. Number two, be aware. Now, we're not quite done with verse three yet, so let's look at it one more time. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. And I love how Paul ties the Old with the New Testament here. Because what did he say before that? He said, beware of the false circumcision, mutilation, the Old Covenant. We are the true circumcision, worshiping in the Spirit, the New Covenant. I want you to notice the emphasis on worshiping in the Spirit here. If you'll recall in Jeremiah, this is, this is so cool, guys. In Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three, it says, But this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. True circumcision. And what's so cool about this, guys, is this was written 600 years before Jesus walked the earth. 600 years. This is tangible prophecy. Even if you have a skeptical friend that tries to late date this text, you still, worst case scenario, have 300 years of fulfilled prophecy of Jesus Christ. I love that. Because God hides these nuggets of gold in the scripture. And not that we would ever put our faith in signs and wonders, but he knows we're not dumb and he gives us these filters so that we can know that he is God. And I love to find these in scripture. So, true circumcision scared a lot of the Jews. Messiah 
divided households, mothers from sons, fathers from daughters, the priests from the poor. So they had to be alert. Wolves were trying to infiltrate the church. So Paul says, be alert for wolves. Be aware of who you are in Christ. And now point number three, remember where you came from. Remember where you came from. All right, guys, we're going to read verses 3 through 6 all the way through, and then we're going to jump back and dissect it a little bit. So here we go. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Paul says here, you want to play the save by works game? I've got you beat. You think you're spiritual? I was born spiritual, circumcised the eighth day. Oh, you're an Israelite, big deal. I am of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Oh, you keep the Sabbath. Well, I'm a Pharisee. You think you're zealous? I've killed Christians to protect my traditions. Oh, you pursue righteousness through the law. I am blameless in the law. Such arrogance. This was Paul. This was Paul B.C., before Christ. And what Paul just did right here is so important. He doesn't forget where he came from. Paul spent his entire life dedicated to the Jewish scriptures, and it was his tradition. It made him feel really spiritual. But as we'll see in a minute, there's something much better that Paul traded all that tradition for. Paul was able, through Christ, to see what his past really was, fading away. It's important from time to time that we reflect on where we came from. Can you remember the old you? The BCU before Christ? Are you different now than you were then? I know I was. A lot of you don't know this about me, but I used to be a really bad alcoholic and a pill junkie too. And uh, this point in my life I'm about to describe to you, the Holy Spirit had come alongside me and started to convict me of of things that were not right in my life. And... Uh, God had already gotten me off of pills, which was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I was taking 180 painkillers a month, and that's not an exaggeration. And so I was off of those, but the thing was I hated sobriety. I hated to be sober, and so I dove, I dove headlong into drinking. And I started to develop some health problems because of my drinking. And one day at work, I uh, I was building fence, and I, I headed to the alley to duck under the rail, go get some more pickets, and right as I bent down, it hit me. Boom, right in my chest. And I hit the dirt, sharp pain in my chest, shallow breathing. Uh, I thought I was having a heart attack. And I remember thinking to myself, done, I am done. This is it. And ironically, I was listening to Pastor Skip Heitzig from Calvary, Albuquerque, in my ear, in my headphones. And as I was sitting in the dirt at this moment, he was preaching out of Isaiah 1. This is the scripture that came into my ear as this happened. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. 
Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord had spoken. I heard the message loud and clear. God was talking directly to me. And what choice did I have? It was a choice of life or death. I said, okay. Okay, God, I know what I've got to do. But here's the deal. I can't. You know I can't. I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I can't do it on my own. And I was sitting here and I was trying to weigh weigh the choice, but I knew I couldn't. And I, I'm telling you guys, I felt God tell me in my spirit, I will help you, but you got to make this choice. You That's what free will is all about. you got to make this choice. And so... I got out of the dirt, didn't have a heart attack, and I finished the day out, and I got home, and like many times before when I tried to quit drinking, I'd head to all my stashes in the house, I gathered all my vodka, and I headed to the toilet, and usually I'm all pouring it out, I'm quitting drinking, you know, I wasn't crying this time though, because I was on a mission, I'd made a covenant with God, and and I poured all my, my liquor out except for my last stash. I go to the kitchen and I open up the cabinet and there she sits, crown royale, my pride and joy. And I grab it and I'm fixing to head to the bathroom and I stop for a minute and I said, you know, this is too familiar. I've done this a thousand times. This is too familiar. If this is from God, I'm going to leave that bottle in the cabinet and I won't drink it tonight because I would drink it other than this scenario here. And that night I didn't drink it. Cold turkey. Like a gallon and a half of vodka a week I was drinking. Just heavy, heavy. And cold turkey, God helped me. The next night I didn't drink it. And guys, that liquor bottle is still in my cabinet at home. And I keep it there. I keep it there to remind me where I came from. This is not bragging rights because I couldn't do it on my own. And before we move on, if there's anybody here that thinks they're struggling with something, I don't care what it is, if it's alcohol, pills, pornography, sex, I don't care what your addiction is, maybe you just feel trapped. God can deliver you from anything that you're going through, and I want you to know that before we move on. Verse 7 and 8. Let's get back into the Scripture. What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed also, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Think for a moment here, guys, about what it actually took for Paul to have become a Pharisee. Setting aside born in the right tribe and, and all of that stuff. It would be like someone today who went through decades of schooling, jumping through all the hoops so they could be at the top of the societal ladder, receiving all the accolades that this world has to offer, and then discovering it was all just an illusion and just throwing it away for something much more precious, something that doesn't fade. Paul is basically saying here that whatever hobbies, dreams, things you're checking off the bucket list, whatever it is, they don't hold a candle to truly knowing Christ. Not religion, guys, but knowing Jesus. When we know Jesus, 
on a personal level, it will affect everything about us. He'll give us a new heart, new desires. He will put in our heart excitement that we, we never had before for anything else. Forget football on Sunday or whatever. He'll put an excitement in your heart for new things, for spiritual things that get you excited. It's my personal prayer that everyone in here gets in tune with knowing Jesus deeper because when you do, it'll awaken excitement and desires you never knew you had. And this was Paul's prayer for the Philippians as well. He, uh, he wrote in chapter 1, 9 and 11, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in the knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God. So Paul just laid out all of his fleshly endeavors, telling us that they were all rubbish because of verse 9. Verse 9. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So righteousness comes through faith in Christ, not the law. This is a crucial point. There was a time at another church that I went to that an elder overheard me describing what some call the sinner's prayer and, you know, an altar call. People call it different things. Basically, it's you describing to somebody for the first time how to talk to God and how to give their life to God, someone that doesn't know how to do it. And this elder overheard me doing this, and he pulled me aside, and he said, Stephen, Stephen, you can't be doing that. And I said, doing what? He said, that prayer, that prayer is not found in the Bible. Now, I wasn't clever enough at this point in my life to say something like, well, the word Bible's not in the Bible. But in all sincerity, I asked him, I said, well, what would you have me do if someone comes to me and wants to know Christ, and wants to surrender their life to God? And he was taken back for a minute, and then he jumped like clockwork right into it. Well, you've got to get baptized, you see. And you've got to study your Bible real hard. And you've got to, you've got to pray real good. And you see what he's doing, right? He's saying you have to do stuff to get to heaven. He's saying you have to do stuff to get to heaven. Guys, that's katatame. That's katatame. You see, the Bible tells us in Acts 16.31, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. It's through Christ alone that we are saved. Are those things important? Absolutely. But studying our Bible, praying real good, getting baptized are not precursors to being saved. They are fruits that show up in our lives after Christ starts changing us. And it's important that we recognize that. Okay, let's start connecting some dots here. Paul has now given us three important things to observe. Be alert for wolves. Be aware of who we are in Christ. And remember where we came from. So why are these three things important? He starts telling us in verses 10 and 11. Now, pay attention to the rest of these verses, guys, because this is where we start seeing the cure for our regret. Paul lays out three more points that will cure our regrets. Let's read 10 and 11. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if, by any means, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So point number one for curing our regret 
is to seek God on a deeper level. Seek God on a deeper level. Guys, it's so important that we get to know and grow in Christ so that we can live victorious lives. We no doubt want to be happy and have peace as we live as Christians on this earth, but don't forget that we get about a hundred years here, folks. It's a mist. And when we consider that in contrast to eternity, this should make you think. You see, God has a tailor-made plan for each of our lives. He didn't just create us to be bumps on a log floating down the river, and at the end, He pulls us out and sets us aside and says, good job floating, Christian. It goes deeper than that. It goes so much deeper. And He wants our lives to matter. He's given us each gifts. And whatever those gifts are, the objective is to get humanity to heaven. Okay, we're not quite done with 10 and 11. Let's read them one more time. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul is touching here on progressive sanctification. That's a big word. Simply put, we're becoming more like Christ. We're becoming more like Christ. We're getting to know the person of Christ more and more, like a good friend. We're slowly but surely shedding that snakeskin that smothered us ever since the Garden of Eden as we shrink and He gains through Christ. And have we reached our goal yet? No, not even close. As Paul says of himself in verse 12 and 13, Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. Point number two for curing our regret is realizing that we're not yet complete. We're not yet complete. Point two, realizing that we are not yet complete. And guys, isn't this the Christian life? We're going along and we're trying, and yet we mess up. And we try and we mess up. It reminds me of the man that went to the Lord in prayer. And he said... You know, Lord, I've, I've done pretty good today. I haven't, uh, haven't said any cuss words, haven't had any lustful or hateful thoughts. I've done pretty good. But Lord, here in a minute, I'm fixing to get out of bed, and I'm going to need a lot more help. And isn't that true? That's a Christian life. But the idea here, guys, is that when we fall, we get back up and try to do it quickly. Satan can work us over on the ground, get back up and live victoriously in God. Now, in verse 13 here, Paul says, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. And didn't we just talk about how it's good to reflect on the past? It's, it's not a contradiction at all. Paul is simply saying that while memories, good and bad, are okay to reflect on, we should not dwell on them or strive to get them back. While memories, good and bad, are okay to reflect on, we should not dwell on them or strive to get them back. We should reflect on our past only for the purpose of confirming our present, to learn, to grow. And Paul sums it up here in verse 14. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
So number three, the third point for curing your, your regret is strive with persistence. To strive with persistence. The Greek word here used for I press toward is dioko. It means to aggressively chase like a hunter pursuing their prize. So you could say Paul is aggressively chasing this upward call of God. Three points, guys. Seek God on a deeper level, realizing you're not yet complete, and strive with persistence. Those are the three steps that Paul lays out to cure your regret. So you're welcome. Regret cured, right? It's not that easy, is it? Easier said than done, you might say. Granted, granted. But that's only if you're doing it your way. Have you tried God's way? Allowing Him to mold your heart, to give you a new heart, put new desires in your heart? Have you really tried surrendering everything to God? Guys, I get it. This life can be hard, demanding, confusing, hurtful. But you know what it's not? Never ending. This life has an end. And at the end of it, are you going to be able to say, I have no regrets? Let me put it to you this way. If when you close your eyes to this shell and you open the eyes of your soul and you're heading to the arms of your Creator, you will most certainly be able to say, I have no regrets. Because in the end, guys, that's all that matters. Do we have responsibilities here and now? Absolutely. Do we do things along the way that we regret? Sure. And some of you might be thinking right now, listen, Steve, I've got regrets. I'm a Christian and I'm still being affected by my regrets. Guys, I get that. I've got regrets too. I'll never get back those precious memories of my kiddos because daddy was too drunk on the couch. Words I've said, people I've hurt, people that have hurt me, words that have been said to me. We all have to live with regret. But you know, that's the beauty of the cross. The cross doesn't change our past, it changes our future. It's a vantage point. I once heard it said that forgiveness is not about saying what happened to you is right. It's about not letting it affect you anymore. And it's the same with regret, guys. God's forgiveness can cure your regret. It doesn't reach out and erase the past. It changes your future. In the end, there's only, there's only one thing that you'll regret if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. For some, this is good news. And for others, this might sound like bad news. But it doesn't have to be. So let me, let me close with two different takeaway take points here. One for each angle. If you are a Christian, then praise God. You're going to be able to say, I have no regrets. But I would encourage you, Christian, to make sure you're acting like it. You know, it's possible for us as Christians to say, Amen, I agree with the content of that book. 
but to not live it. Make sure you're not doing that. Make sure you're doing heart checks. You can be hearers, but not doers. I would encourage you to start inquiring deeper into what exact moves God wants you to make next, if any. And if life has you down right now, remember that God's not going to give you more than you can handle. He's got His hand on you. And look for His exit signs in your trials. He wants you to learn something, and He has His hand on you the entire time. Look for His exit signs. And point or angle number two, if you do not have a real relationship with Jesus Christ, I have, I have a different message for you. And that is simple. What are you waiting for? You've got questions, that's okay. God will answer those questions in His timing. And He has perfect timing. We might not think so in the middle of it, but He has perfect timing. And He'll answer your questions. But for crying out loud, friend, don't wait any longer. I'm going to close out with a story. In 1829, there was a man by the name of George Wilson who received the death sentence. Wilson, however, had some very influential friends who managed to get him a full pardon, granting Wilson his life back. But Wilson declined the pardon. He also declined to explain why. It was at this point that Chief Justice John Marshall wrote, A pardon is an act of grace proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws, but delivery is not completed without acceptance. It may may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and we have no power in a court to force it upon him. You see, guys, this is a perfect parallel to what so many reject in salvation. God has already done all the work. All we have to do is accept the pardon. But we don't like change, do we? That's our prerogative, isn't it? But let me tell you, if you're not happy, and you've got a void in you, you know something's not sitting right, and you know who you are, I'm telling you, you're only one decision away from having the weight of the world lifted off your shoulders. One decision away. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for this night. I thank You, Father, for what You have said to us in Your Word. I thank You, Lord, that we can be confident that we are saved, that we are loved, and that we are protected. I thank You that we can be confident, Father, that You're coming back to get us But Lord, I know there's a lot of people that have hardened hearts. And I pray, Lord, that that we can live as Christians in a way that they can see the truth. And then as we are living this life, Father, that you can give us a joy and an endurance, a spiritual endurance, Father, to follow for you in a world that is so dark. And I pray if there's anyone that's listening to this that wants to give their life to you, that they can say in the quietness of their heart, I believe. 
I believe that Jesus died for my sins. That He rose from the grave. I repent for my sins. I turn to You. And I know that I don't have to I don't have to change myself, but I welcome you, Holy Spirit, to change me. Pray if there's anyone that needs to surrender their life, that they would do that. They would say that with quietness of their heart. And they would give you the word and connect with brothers and sisters and find the freest life they could ever know. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.